1: You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more.
2: You're listening to Cutting the Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Anne Saxelby. You're listening to Cutting the Curd. Hosted by Anne Saxelby. Broadcast live to the cosmos on the Heritage Radio Network.
3: Well, welcome back to Cutting the Curd. After a couple weeks uh, worth of hiatus here, we've been... uh been on break for various reasons, but most recently the reason was uh, Hurricane Sandy, which came through the uh, East Coast last week and kind of turned everything upside down. But we're happy to be uh, back on the air. Um, And uh, I'm obviously, I'm your host, Ann Saxelby. My co-host, my usual co-host, Sophie Schlesinger, is not here this evening. Um, But I have a guest host, Diane Stemple, uh, a great friend, who's actually going to be guest hosting the show for the next couple months while I uh, try to figure out how to be a mom. Uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm I'm due on November twentieth. So, if anyone wants to to join the wager, my husband Patrick has set up a, a betting ring at his meat shop, the heritage meat shop. Um, so you can bet when the baby will be born, um, (laughs) and, uh, and get in on the action. But, um, so thank you Diane for being here and for offering to, uh, help me out with cutting the curd for the next little while.
4: You're welcome. I'm delighted. I'm delighted to join you today and I'm delighted to guest host while
3: you're on maternity leave. (laughs) That is awesome. Awesome news. Um, so we're so today's show is kind of a, a an amalgam of a couple different things we're going to be talking a little bit about um, hurricane sandy and what that's meant for uh, cheese people here on the east coast and then we're also going to be talking with uh, veronica pedraza who has been on the show with us before she's a cheesemaker um, uh, formerly at jasper hill farm in vermont and currently at Meadowwood farm uh, upstate new york um, veronica are you with us I am, Anne. All right. Veronica has been super patient because with the, all of the Hurricane Sandy craziness, uh, it took me way longer than it should have to get to the studio today. So, uh so Veronica's been very patient. Thank you.
2: <laughs> You're welcome. I have twenty dollars on Thanksgiving.
3: Oh nice. I love it. <laughs> it would be appropriate because Patrick's business, Heritage Foods, you know, they've specialize in Thanksgiving turkeys. And then <laughs> And then an odd twist of fate, the hospital where I was supposed to give birth originally is closed due to the hurricane, so I had to move hospitals, and I'm actually going to be at the place where um, Patrick, my husband, was born, so it's pretty funny. Um, Yeah, if it was was on Thanksgiving, it would just be like a a major triple whammy of weird coincidences.
2: (laughs) That Uh, child will be born into a cornucopia.
3: (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. Um, So first, we're going to talk a little bit about Hurricane Sandy and what that's meant for uh, cheese people here in New York City. And I thought, you know, Veronica, it's great to have you on as well, because you were in Vermont last year when Hurricane Irene hit. So you kind of have some perspective on how weather can disrupt the cheese biz from time to time. Um, I'm
2: also a native Floridian here.
3: That is true. You were advising me. Okay, so give me your grocery list for Hurricane
2: uh, I've been, well, the most significant hurricane that I ever went through was Hurricane Andrew in 1992.
3: That was a big one. Um,
2: that was a big one that just dis- destroyed South Florida.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But I was, I mean, and I guess I shouldn't be like making light of anything because, you know, these are very serious situations for people, but I did laugh when you, when you told me about, um, how New Yorkers shop badly for hurricanes.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. Buying milk before uh, before your power goes out is not is not a good move. It's, <laughs> a, it's a little. It's a, it's a rookie move.
3: <laughs> so yeah, you said uh, you made sure you you had uh, plenty of plenty of booze on hand, and then also, um, you know, what kind of non perishables do you like to pick up before uh, storms hit?
2: Cheese,
3: <laughs> of course. <laughs> Duh. Cheese and cookies. And cookies. Yeah, that's good. Maybe some beef jerky just to round it out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so yeah, it's it's actually interesting. I feel like a lot of uh cheese people here in New York City were caught pretty unawares of um just how significant this storm was going to be. Um we we at Saxon Bee Cheesemongers were lucky in that we moved all of our cheese from our um warehouse in Red Hook the day before the storm hit. Um, so even though we, you know, did suffer some, some flooding there, um, that that it's going to take us a while to get back from, um, you know, we were able to move our, our supply of cheese, which was, which was really lucky. Um, and, uh, other cheese people in New York had to end up doing the same thing. I know, um, any cheese shop downtown, um, Bedford cheese, their new location, Um, on Irving place, they had to move all their cheese, uh, Murray's cheese in the West village, which is a huge cheese shop, um, with, you know, underground caves and everything. They had to move all of their cheese. And, uh, it's just, uh, it's been amazing to see how willing people are to help in these kinds of situations because, you know, we could have really been left, uh, in a bad, bad place. Uh, you know, we still don't have power down in in Red Hook at our warehouse, um, A week later, so it could have been bad, but I feel like you know the cheese world is is unique and wonderful in that way, in that people are super generous and willing to help each other out in these tough situations. Um, So we're all we're all lucky for that. Um, Did you guys feel any of the effects of Hurricane Sandy up in uh, Casanova?
2: No, I I don't know. We were like in some kind of twilight zone because we got a little bit of wind and. Some, some rain but nothing nothing significant no trees down or anything like that. Okay. Okay. I was a little disappointed.
3: Bit... <laughs> <laughs> Don't be disappointed. You're that's awesome.
2: <laughs> well, that's how it was. I was just prepared. I was ready to go.
3: What were you going
4: to say, Diane? That's how it was in some neighborhoods in Brooklyn. It hardly rained. The wind howled, but it it seemed like it never hit till you watched the news. And found out the devastation in all the other neighborhoods,
3: yeah, yeah, it was very unevenly spread mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah it was it was definitely a strange uh a strange i don't know storm but but definitely impacted a ton of people I think, here um,
2: I think that's typical of hurricanes,
3: yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, something we're gonna get we're gonna get better at. it Seems like year after year because they don't. <laughs> it seems like they're happening more often rather than less often. Um, but uh, if anybody uh, has you know um, updates on uh, on how different people fared through the through the hurricane, we'd love to hear it. You can email us at info at radio network um, Or, uh, you know, we can put it up on our our Twitter feed and things like that. We just want to make sure that all of our cheesy neighbors are are doing well and recovering. Um, Also, some of the people hardest hit by the hurricane were the bigger distributors. Um, The ports in New Jersey were flooded really, really badly. And so some of the, you know, really larger companies um, have suffered quite a bit, too. So we're hoping that they're all getting back you know getting back online and getting everything put back together um but so the other reason for veronica being on the show tonight um is to talk about something that's a little bit uh a little bit lighter a little bit happier um uh the dairy sheep association of north america did i say that right Okay, great. Um <laughs> we haven't done a we haven't done a show about uh, an organization like this yet, so I'm excited to to talk a little bit more about it. Um they just uh the Dairy Sheep Association of North America just recently had their annual symposium. It was down in South Carolina this year?
2: No, it was it uh it was in Dulles, Virginia. Virginia. Uh sorry. So right outside of D C.
3: Awesome. Awesome. And so I, I thought it would be interesting for our listeners to hear more about what this organization does, um, and then also um, talk a, a more about what your role is in the organization, um, you know, getting new members uh, and sort of spreading the spreading the sheepy word. Um, <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about what the organization does and how it started uh, and what happens at the annual symposium? Um,
2: okay, so... We're basically a trade association, and we're made up of dairy sheep producers, cheesemakers, and anyone within the industry. Uh, So suppliers, researchers, um, and then there's quite a bit of educators involved. And Um, and how many members would
3: you say there are?
2: Well, to be honest, I have (laughs) no—I don't have that information. Um, There were about a little over fifty people at this year's symposium. Um, which apparently was pretty light. Uh, normally there's over 100 people that attend.
3: Okay, okay. Um, but, uh, so I interrupted. So you were saying that um, there are a lot of educators, and then and so the symposium largely consists of what kind of programming? Like, what do you get out of it as a cheesemaker?
2: Um, well, there wasn't a, a whole lot that was geared towards cheesemaking. Uh, there's a lot that's geared towards... Um, more of the dairy side and the, and the animal well-being side, which is important to learn as a cheesemaker. Um, so I got a whole new sort of education going to this conference, um, just because the health of the animal is relative to the quality of the milk, um, and that's a real big challenge for dairy producers in the United States, just because um, we're not allowed to import genetics from, from France and overseas. Um, where dairy sheep have really been bred for the purpose of, of cheese making, um, so we have some limitations in terms of our resources um, available to us right now.
3: So this is kind of the the you know the group to go to if you have uh, sort of questions about how to raise dairy sheep and how to breed uh, dairy sheep and yeah. Oh, I think Diane has a question.
4: Veronica, what sure. do you mean by we can't import genetics do you mean actual kinds of sheep
2: actual kinds of sheep and uh you know i mean a good portion of like cow i mean cow genetics right um there's a lot of i i, I hesitate to say genetic engineering but <laughs> um you're, I mean, you have a lot more in terms of selection. There's concerns about um, disease, basically. And Ocean what? And mouth disease um, what? coming over from Europe into this country.
3: Ah, okay. Right, because there was that case, um, I think back in the 90s now, Linda Felace, that woman in Vermont who had their, their uh, herd of sheep seized by the FDA and, and destroyed. I mean, what a terrible thing.
2: Yeah, and they later found out that that was actually government error, but <laughs> um, we were not allowed to, you know, the, the cow dairy, for example, they're, um, you know, you have a rich genetic pool um, to sort of look to as a producer, and you can, you know, basically kind of figure out what you want in terms of, of a dairy cow, and you have that available to you um and sheep we don't really have don't really have that accessibility um
3: and i mean there's not much history of sheep dairy here in the united states right i mean i feel like we we're more of like a lamb eating country maybe than we are a sheep cheese eating country traditionally
2: sure you know i mean that's uh if you want to become a dairy sheep producer there's some serious barriers to to entry into that industry um, one is we don't have, you know, I mean, if your parents have a cow dairy and they're struggling to figure out a way to make it viable, you know, you can sort of turn turn that into a cheese-making operation here, or you have that opportunity, but nobody's really inheriting sheep dairy farms from their families. Um, and the farms, just the infrastructure on farms that, it, that currently exist, like if you wanted to be a producer say i wanted to go out and buy a farm and start a sheep dairy you know a lot of the designs of of old barns aren't are designed for cows they're not designed to house sheep or really small ruminant um, animals
3: right 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 and then there's the added you know uh difficulty of how much milk sheep produce versus how much milk cows produce um a couple of weeks ago, Veronica and I went around the city, um, meeting with different chefs and tasting uh, her cheeses out with everybody. Um, uh, Veronica, as I said, is a cheesemaker at Meadowwood Farms up in Verm- uh, up in uh, upstate New York, and um, I really liked the way that you broke it down for chefs, explaining how much milk you're dealing with with sheep versus cows. Can you tell our listeners those uh, those numbers real quick? I think they're they're fascinating.
2: If you wanted to produce the same amount of cheese annually, you would need 45 cows, 300 sheep, or 600 goats.
3: Wow. Yeah. That's crazy.
4: So with all the difficulty involved in sheep farming, why would people go out of their way to do it? Because they love the sheep milk cheese or the quality of the milk or what's in it for them?
2: Well, as a cheesemaker, I mean, sheep's milk has some really unique properties for to make cheese, so it's super desirable, like, raw product. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, the other added benefit of raising sheep is that they're a multi-purpose animal. Um, you know, in order to make milk, you have to have babies, and 50% of those are not going to be, you know, useful, so... <laughs> there's gonna be there's gonna be a lamb business and there's gonna be a little bit of wool in it for you so and I think some people are you know more geared towards the seasonality of of um dairy sheep
3: which is uh which is what pretty much the seasonality
2: uh springtime through sort of mid like mid fall most people are kind of you know we've we've just uh bred all our sheep, um, and they will lamb in roughly in April. So, um, you know, I mean, there are ways to manipulate sheep into giving milk year-round, and there are dairy producers that do that in this country. Um, But for a lot of people, especially for people that have farmstead cheese operations, it's a a seasonal-based business for them.
3: Now um, that that brings up another funny story. Um, will you tell our listeners the story about the the sheep breeding um, on your farm and the uh, public outcry that uh, it mistakenly caused?
2: <laughs> oh, okay. So um, <laughs> when you the the sheep are divided up into various breeding groups, and um, and the ram has um, basically it's uh, it's a kind of paint. It's like a vegetable oil and chalk mixture um, that gets rubbed kind of all over the ram. And the purpose of that is so that um, basically he marks the U um, (laughs) so that you know that it's been bred. Um, (laughs) And uh, for whatever reason, we use red. And we also used blue. Um, but a lot of people driving by the farm thought that the animals were, were marked for slaughter.
3: Um. <laughs> oh. So funny. No, you're like, nope, they're just, they had a good time. They enjoyed it. But yeah, <laughs> I, I just thought that was hilarious. You go. Through, so word to the wise, if you're driving through, you know, if you're driving past a field full of sheep and, you know, they have crazy colorful markings on their backs. They're not being abused. They're, it's just, you know, it's just breeding season. They're just that's are breeding. All. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Um, but so getting back to, you know, why would anyone want to be a, a sheep dairy person if this is so difficult? Um, do you see a lot of um, people trying to get into the business? Uh, or, or is it just kind of you know, something that, you know, a, a couple, you know, crazy enterprising people have picked up on and, and and are doing, and it's a small community.
2: Oh, there's definitely a mix of crazy in there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but there's, uh, I mean, there's definitely some people that have made the transition from cow dairying into sheep dairying, which I always find interesting. Um, and I think those are the most, like, sort of opportunistic entrepreneurial spirits um, just because they realize that there's, you know, there's a market for their product. Um, and then I, th- I think that there's some people that are just genuinely interested in, you know, the mul- sort of the multi-purpose animal um, and having a farm that is multi-purpose.
3: Right, right. Like I know um, Three Corner Field Farm, which is uh, a farm that we buy quite a bit of cheese from, <clears throat> they seem to have a very good uh, handle of that market. They have great lamb they make uh sheep milk cheeses they make yogurt um they sell the fleece you know the wool they sell um uh sheep sheep milk soap um and so yeah there's there is an opportunity for a small a smaller scale business that's also very viable for for a family um so what uh what were the the goals or the outcomes from this year's uh, dairy sheep association conference? What did you guys walk away you know wanting to to accomplish for next year
2: um Well, we need to grow grow membership and um, we also need to sort of recruit the next generation of American dairy sheep farmers um, I would say that you know the the organization as it is at least the attendees this year um you know, we're we're older people. Um, you're and not old. There was... <laughs> oh, they were older
3: people. I thought you said we're older people, and I was like, Veronica, you're like thirty. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, I mean, but we need people in their twenties and thirties who are thinking about, um, you know, maybe people that are interested in farming to kind of take up the interest of, of dairy sheep because there's a lot of, um, you know, sort of issues that we have to compete with. Um, to make this sort of a viable industry in this in this country. Um, you know, we have to, as as cheese producers, we have to compete with, um, well, European markets, and a lot of those dairy sheep farmers are subsidized, which is why you see sheep's milk cheese from Italy and from Spain costing basically half the price of domestic sheep's milk products. Um so you know, I mean, we need more people to produce milk, and we need more people to produce cheese.
3: And where is most of the production of milk happening right now? Sheep milk.
2: Ooh, um, that's interesting. We were we're definitely a scattered group of people. Um, there's a big initiative, obviously, in Wisconsin. Um, because there's a research facility at Spooner, which is one of the branches of the University of Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, and they started the Sheep Dairy Cooperative, or the Wisconsin Sheep Dairy Cooperative, which produces um, the the Cheese Dante. That's
3: um, such a good cheese.
2: It's probably one of the most ubiquitous domestic sheep sheep cheeses. Um but there was a good concentration of people in in New York and some in, like, in Virginia and the Maryland in, uh, area, um, and then out west, too, in Washington, because obviously there's a big, I mean, there's a lot of uh, ranchers raising sheep out in Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, et cetera, and so I think it's just sort of a natural inclination for people out there to, uh, to be interested in making sheep's milk cheese.
4: Hmm. Are what climates are good for sheep milk?
2: What climates?
4: Are yeah, good? I mean, as you know, like goats don't need as much grass as cows. Where do sheep fit in in that difference?
2: Sheep graze definitely differently than cows or goats. They kind of nip the grass sort of all the way down to the to the butt. Mm-hmm. But um, colder climates obviously work well for mm-hmm. for animals. Um. Per, Particularly just because of parasites, um, small ruminant animals are affected a little bit more heavily um, by by parasites and disease um, which exist in like warmer climates, so the type of sheep that you have too has a little bit to do with it um, You don't really want to raise sheep in like Louisiana when they've got a wool coat and it's ninety degrees out in August. <laughs>
3: That makes for Uh some pretty miserable sheep. (laughs)
2: Yeah.
3: Now, do sheep get, like, mad at you visibly? Like, you know, do they have personalities like goats do? Goats are kind of, like, vindictive and, like, mischievous. And what's their temperament like?
2: Uh, I might, you know, catch some heat for this, but I would say dumb. (laughs) Um. (laughs) That's what I've heard.
4: (laughs) Not lovable but dumb? Um, Are they lovable? What's that? Are they lovable but dumb?
2: Oh, they're very lovable. I mean, they're very, well, when they're young they're cute, you know. Most animals are cute when they're young and then the older they get, they're just more like animals, but
3: <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's um what, that's funny. Um so if people so where do people learn about this uh, Dairy Sheep Association of North America, and what are some other resources that you could point to for people who are interested in, in sheep dairy?
2: Ooh, other resources. <laughs> um, well, the University of Wisconsin at Spooner um, would be for, I guess, breeding stock. They would, they've would they done probably the most research um, into dairy sheep. Um Obviously, the Dairy Sheep Association of North America, but otherwise, I mean, um, there's not a lot of uh, resources out there for people, and um, something that's of interest to me is kind of bridging the gap between like North American and uh European producers, because we have a lot to learn from from Europe's uh dairy sheep producers.
3: Yeah, now you mentioned you're going to a workshop at Viac, the Vermont Institute of Artisan Cheese, um, pretty soon here. Um, did they have uh, visiting sheep cheese makers um, that come over and kind of share their, their knowledge?
2: I've never seen a specific sheep, di- like sheep cheese class with Viac. Um, there are definitely producers that make sheep's milk cheese who teach some of the classes. um the the class i'm attending this week is um is the business of it's like business planning for cheese makers
3: (laughs) oh man yeah (laughs) not the fun part but very necessary part (laughs) yeah um well i guess in closing you know it's funny we're almost out of time um but i want people to know more about your farm um can you tell us a little bit about meadowood farms and the and the cheeses you're making up there
2: Sure. Um, okay, so we're located in Cazenovia, New York, which is right outside of Syracuse. Um, I like to say that we're the gateway to the Finger Lakes. Um, we have 225 acres that are devoted to, we raise, this coming year we'll have 135 milking ewes, and we also have 50 belted Galloway beef cattle that we raise for both beef and um, breeding stock. Um our farm was originally built in nineteen ten by the Walter Shark family, so it's sort of historic in nature. Um, and over the generations it sort of kind of got parceled out and became derelict at some point. But uh in nineteen ninety six um, Mark Chappelle and Tom Anderson um, purchased the original property and sort of began the process of uh of restoring the property and, and making it a working farm again. Um so right now we we make cheese um we obviously raise beef, we have lamb um we do a little bit of wool and uh yogurt
3: yum and yum and warm <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> um very cool well, and the cheeses um that you make are awesome uh uh Rippleton is a wash dried sheep cheese uh leadyard is a sheep's milk cheese that's uh kind of like a banon from Provence It's uh, wrapped in a, a grape leaf that's locally harvested and wrapped or in uh sorry soaked in a uh a beer from Empire Brewing Company It's a wheat beer infused with Concord grapes. Did I get that right?
2: Yeah, it's it's like a it's a what's the word? It's an expression of like Madison County terroir. The, the grapes come from Madison County, the leaves come from Madison County the milk and cheese obviously come from
3: there too awesome that is awesome and then lorenzo which is a more recent um addition and that one is uh um kind of like a fontina style sheep's milk cheese that's washed with a, a cider um and a, a barely fermented cider um and that's really delicious as well so we are proud to carry their cheeses at tax will cheesemongers but um can you um veronica can you give everybody a rundown of other places they might find your cheese if uh, if they're looking for it
2: Sure. Um, in New York, besides Saks Bee Be Cheesemongers, we're also carried at Lucy's Way and Beechers. Um, in Philadelphia, you can find us at De Bruno Brothers. In the Boston Cambridge area, you can find us at Formaggio Kitchen. Um, we've been working with a distributor out in Chicago, so you can find us on a couple restaurant menus there. Um, and right now, and uh, and we'll be in Cowgirl Creamery in D.C. Hopefully, before the end of the year. Great. So you can go. Go down there and get your Christmas cheese.
3: <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much, Veronica, for for taking time to talk with us uh, about about dairy sheep. Who knew such a fascinating fascinating world?
2: <laughs> I think this should be a regular topic.
3: <laughs> I think so too. Well, it's all in Diane's hands from here on out. She's calling the shots. So maybe we can have like you know a monthly sheep uh, rundown. Maybe we can rotate cow, goat, and sheep. There you go. Yeah, that would be the, fair.
2: Th- the status of sheep yeah 2013 <laughs> like i'll be your foreign correspondent
4: great that sounds awesome i need one yeah
3: <laughs> <laughs> well um,
2: literally foreign
3: <laughs> <laughs> yay casanova is not that far up there come on you're <laughs> <laughs> i
2: just meant rural
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> well thanks again for being on the show um we know we'll have you back on again at some point in the future. And uh, so, yes, yeah, signing off for a couple months, and, and and Diane will be signing on. So everybody keep enjoying your Cutting the Curd, and uh, we'll be back next Monday with a fresh episode.
0: You're listening to Cutting the
1: Curd, hosted by Ann Saxelby. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website, curd